This reading is from Nehemiah 7, first four verses. After the wall had been rebuilt and I had set the doors in place, the gatekeepers and the singers and the Levites were appointed. I put in charge of Jerusalem my brother Hanani, along with Hananiah, the commander of the citadel, because he was a man of integrity and feared God more than most men do. I said to them, The gates of Jerusalem are not to be opened until the sun is hot. While the gatekeepers are still on duty, have them shut the doors and bar them. Also, appoint residents of Jerusalem as guards, some at their posts and some near their own houses. Now the city was large and spacious, but there were few people in it, and the houses had not yet been rebuilt. Brilliant. Thank you very much, Emily. Well done. All right, it's lovely to see you this morning. And uh, lovely to be able to get the chance to share with you for a few moments as well. And we are returning to Nehemiah. So um, we were with Nehemiah for a large part of uh, kind of the the later end of last year. And uh, then we we took a break, obviously, for Christmas, uh, New Year. We're going back to to Nehemiah this morning. And uh, because it's been a while, we'll do a little recap in in a few moments just to kind of track where we're up to and what's happened but before we do that, I want us to just to think, start thinking about something that we're going to explore a bit later on. And that is that sometimes what seems to be the end is actually just the beginning. What sometimes seems to be the end of, of a project or the end of something actually is just the beginning. So think about it in, in this way. Perhaps uh, you might remember when, uh, when you got engaged or, or maybe there are folks in the church who are engaged at the moment. And, and when a couple get engaged, then they, they start on this uh, mammoth task to plan the wedding. And there's a, there's a lot to do. You know, when are we going to get married? When can most people who are important to us, most family members, when can we kind of get together? When can this take place? Uh, what, what date? Where are we going to get married? Who's going to be on the guest list? What are we going to eat? You know, when are choice caterers available so that they can do that fantastic chicken and, and ham pie that they, that they do so well? What colours are we going to use? What dress is the bride going to wear? What dance will we have the first dance to? And so the list goes on. And all those things have their place, I suppose. But the engagement, though it ends with a wedding, actually the wedding is the start of married life. The engagement finishes with the wedding but something bigger has started. And that same dynamic happens over and over again in life. Think about maybe you were, you're, you're planning, you're training for your career. Perhaps you, you went to university and uh, maybe you wanted to be an accountant or something kind of high octane like that. And uh, so you go to university and, and it takes a lot of energy and effort to get the degree, there's a whole host of skills that you need to kind of learn and appreciate. Time management, a lot of reading, all the energy and effort and all that that's kind of happening in and around that course. And as the course is coming towards an end, you're really keen and, uh, that that course finishes, that you get the degree. But getting the degree is, is the end of the course, but it's actually the beginning of something much bigger. It's the beginning of a career, hopefully. It's the beginning of, of, of putting that learning into practice. It's the beginning of employment. It's the beginning of, of giving back to society. You've learned and now you're, you're putting that learning to good use. You're doing something with it. 
And that dynamic of the end is actually the beginning happens over and over again. For, for, for ladies, when, when they're pregnant, there's the build-up to the birth, but the birth is the end of pregnancy, but very much the beginning of something else, beginning of the next adventure. And so it is for, for Nehemiah in this passage that we're going to look at for a few moments. This is a construction project that we've been looking at, and the construction project is finished, but that end is actually only the beginning of something bigger. We have a construction project that's going on at the moment as the building uh, just over here is, is, is nearing its end. It's nearly ready. It's nearly finished. But the end of that construction project isn't an end in itself, but the beginning of something bigger. As, as, as Lord willing, we start to use that building for some good purposes. And for Nehemiah, what we've been looking at so far is the building of these walls. But the walls have been built, and we're about to see that the walls being built isn't the end, but the beginning. Let's, let me remind you of where we're up to so far in Nehemiah. I'll just zoom right out. This won't take long, but just a little bit of context, because it's been a, a long time since the end of November, and a lot seems to have happened in that time. So, so God's people are living in the land that God has given them. And they have, uh, uh, they're in this relationship with God where they have um, blessings for obedience, but there are consequences for their disobedience. And over a long period of time, they've turned their back on God. And the picture that the prophets use at the time is of, of adultery, that God is sort of still in the picture, but serve, the people serve him in a very half-hearted way. He's in and around, but he's not center stage. He's there, but, but they're chasing after other things, other ways to live, other gods to serve. And because they step out of obedience, all sorts of other consequences come online. And one of those consequences is that one of the, the enemies that they have, um, that they've irritated, the Babylonians, and I'm condensing a lot into a short, poor summary, the Babylonians come and they invade what's left of God's people. Lots have been taken away already. They destroy Jerusalem. They uh, take the people off into exile. They demolish the temple. They put massive holes in the city wall in this catastrophic event where the people of God are taken away. And, uh, and Jerusalem is left essentially in ruins. Remarkably, this is where Nehemiah comes in. Nehemiah is in captivity, but he rises to a position of prominence. He is cupbearer to the king. And that is a position of, uh, of a kind of an advisory role and a really uh, honoured position. And he, uh, having recognised that Jerusalem is in ruins, uh, gets the king's permission and backing to go to Jerusalem and start rebuilding the walls and rebuilding the people. And that's about where we're up to. Interestingly, in the Bible, context is, also, is, is about looking back, but it's also about looking forward. And the rebuilt Jerusalem that is, that, that's happening here isn't just to, to rebuild a city, but the walls that have been rebuilt, the temple that's rebuilt around this time, the, 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 the people that are rebuilt, these are the people that Jesus in, in years to come will come and speak to. It's these rebuilt streets that he'll walk down. It's the rebuilt temple that he'll teach in. It's the rebuilt walls that he'll be taken out of to be crucified. So there is a, a bigger picture that's going on. And what I want us to do just for a few moments is to look at two things. Just, just two points this morning, you'll be pleased to know. 
but it will take me a good hour to get through them. Two things to look at from the verses that Emily expertly read for us about the people keeping moving forward. The wall has been finished, but now the people need to see that isn't an end, but it's a beginning. How are they going to keep moving forward? And the first thing I want us to notice is to keep moving forward, they have to guard the work. You have to guard the work. Let's see where we find that in the text. If you've got your Bible, just have it open and and glance down at Nehemiah chapter 7. If not, I'll, I'll read it for us anyway. In verse 1, we see that the walls have been finished, the doors and gates have been put in place. And we see that gatekeepers, musicians and Levites are appointed. People are appointed to serve. In verse 3, we see that the instructions are given that the gates of the city are not to be opened until the sun is hot and they're to be closed earlier in the evening while the gatekeepers are still on duty. So, so, so what, what's happening here? Well, in, in ancient Near Eastern cities, the, the, this was the deal that the city was walled, so a big wall around the city to protect it. And that was fantastic in wartime, a really effective defense. But in peacetime, this big wall keeping everybody in was a bit of a restriction. So, so because the wall was there and then the gates were closed, people obviously can't get in and out. So you couldn't come in and out. It was a restriction on trade. It was a restriction on movement. It was a restriction on people getting out of the city to go and work the fields. And so what, what is happening here is Nehemiah is saying... Don't open the gates straight away. So, so in peacetime, a city, the gates would be open as soon as it's daylight and the gates wouldn't be closed until you know, the last possible moment because you want, you, want, you want to make the most of the daylight. You want to make the most of trade, the most of the work possible. And what Nehemiah is saying here is don't be naive. Wait to open the gates until the sun is hot, till everyone's up and doing and active and ready and prepared and close them early. Because all of those enemies that were stopping the work, that were, that were um, a nuisance while the work was being done, all those enemies that were trying to stop the walls from rebuilt, don't think they've just disappeared. What, what he's saying is don't presume you're in absolute peacetime when you're still surrounded by enemies. Don't be naive. Don't be foolish. Make, uh, kind of recognize the situation that you're in. You see, up until now in Nehemiah, we might have thought that the wall, the people in Jerusalem are there to rebuild walls. But the reality is that the walls are there to protect the people. And, and so for the people to keep moving forward, they have to, to guard the work. They have to, to stand on the walls, as it were. There's no point in having city walls if you're not going to guard them. The wall's not been built as a monument to look at and think, well, we've got some fantastic walls in this city. And then not put people to guard the gates and kind of keep watch on the walls. He's wanting, he's wanting the people to recognize what's happening and why, to guard the work. And the reason is, in verse 4, now, the city was large and spacious. There were few people in it, and the houses had not yet been rebuilt. Guard the wall, because the real work is there's a city needs to be rebuilt. Guard the wall, because there's people that need to be rebuilt, a community that needs to be rebuilt. The walls are not a monument to look at while a city is in ruins. 
So what does that mean for us? What does that mean for us today? Let, let's think about application perhaps in, in our own life, in our own, in our own walk with the Lord. For, for those of us who've, who've uh, given our lives to the Lord Jesus, for those of us who've recognized what Jesus has done for us at the cross, as he's taken our sin, our guilt, our shame, and, and he's paid the price that we go free, something absolutely remarkable has happened. Something incredible has happened. Something to absolutely delight and celebrate in. The pictures the Bible uses to help us understand that is is to say that we've passed from darkness to light. We've gone from death to life. From being a slave to sin to being adopted into the family of the living God. That's incredible. This is a work that's done that Jesus has done for us. The victory has been won. He has, he's, he's died once for all. He, we are saved. Jesus is king. But we still have an enemy. And though he is defeated, he's on the run, as it were, until his final destruction. And he still loves to have a go at God's people. And we mustn't be naive to leave the gates wide open. The city wall's been built, the gates are in place, but let's not be foolish and leave the gates open to be attacked, as it were. We still can be lured in by the deceitfulness of our enemy. The picture the Bible uses is of a lion prowling round, seeking to devour. We just need to be aware of what his tactics are. We can be, we can be lured away from standing on what Jesus has done to, to kind of standing on what we do. We can, be, we can be drawn away, either to think that our sin is so bad, we're so terrible, we're so awful that Jesus would never have anything to do with us. And we put ourselves in the center of the picture rather than Jesus. And our badness is better than his goodness, as it were. Or, or we can be lured in the other way and we can kind of, instead of seeing our, our need for, for standing on what Jesus has done, we compare not ourselves with the holiness of God, but we look around and compare ourselves with each other. We know we're not perfect, but we're certainly not as bad as that person. Certainly not as bad as Christy. And we, we look around and, and we, we, we move over into feeling a kind of self-righteousness. Instead of standing on what Jesus has done, standing on his grace, on his love, on his power, on his work that is perfect, on his sufficiency, on his indwelling life. This is what Paul says to the Ephesians. We looked at this with the children, you might remember, uh, at the end of last year. Paul says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then 
the, the, the emphasis is clear to stand on what Jesus has done. Stand on his grace. Stand on his forgiveness. Stand on who we are in him. So when the attack comes and, and, and says, you know, you're not good enough. You're, you're so terrible in your sin. We deflect it. We stand on what Jesus has done. That he, the fact that Jesus, the son of God, would die for us. That means something about who we are. That says something about our worth and our value and our significance. But it also leaves no room for arrogance because we're totally there by his grace. We stand on the work that he has done. We guard the work as it were. But maybe there's an application for us corporately here as a church as well. When that strip of land was was purchased all those years ago and the idea and dream of a of a building was floated there's there's been a lot of work happened since then and and certain people significantly have worked very hard getting the, the planning permission the the building team have worked hard in the constant decision making that a building uh, takes as it as it goes up and just like the walls of Jerusalem, which we can say is completely God's work, it's completely God's providence, completely his provision, completely his, uh, all the glory goes to him. But alongside it was a lot of hard work and shrewd decision making and application by Nehemiah and the people. So there's a, there's a building project here where it's it's all been God's provision. His grace has been all over it. His his. He's provided, he's inspired, he's enabled. But those along that, in that journey have worked very hard alongside the Lord, in it? But the, the, the building isn't being built as a monument. It's not there so people will drive past it and say, well, CFM looked to be doing okay. It's not a monument. It's there to be used. Let's stand on it. Let's get inside it. Let's use it. Because there's a city behind it that needs to hear the message of Jesus. The walls were built in Jerusalem because there was a city behind that needed work. That needed the safety of the walls so the city could be rebuilt and the people could be rebuilt. And there's a town behind that building that needs us to use it well. Number one, keep moving forward. Guard the work. Secondly, Keep moving forward. Grow the team. Grow the team. Let's notice where we're picking this up from in the passage. Verse 1, we read of gatekeepers, musicians, and Levites being appointed. So, 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 what's, happening, so what's happening there? Well, um, musicians and Levites would have been uh, involved in work in the temple. And it could be that um, their their role in the temple, they would often be to, to guard the temple as well. And it could be because so many of the people who came back out of exile, came back to Jerusalem, were Levites. It could be that what Nehemiah is doing here is saying, okay, those people who have experience in guarding the temple, let's put them to work on the wall because they kind of transferable skills idea. Or it could be that now that the wall's completed, the Levites and musicians who had been building the wall that we looked at um, those weeks ago, now can go back to their primary responsibility, 
of serving in the temple. But either way, here's, here's what I want us to notice. That those who are called to work and those who are called to worship kind of run parallel with each other. And actually, I suspect they're just two sides of the same coin. We've got gatekeepers and musicians, the workers and the worshippers, and they work very much together. Remember that we said that Nehemiah is seeking not just to build walls for the sake of building walls. He's seeking to rebuild a city. He's seeking to rebuild a, a community, a people. And how are the people going to be sort of rebuilt is that they're going to come up and they're going to serve together and they're going to worship together. And serving together and worship together perhaps are not two different things, but rather two sides of a similar coin. This morning, we've been really wonderfully led by a worship team. They've come and they've led us as as we've sang, as we've um, fixed our eyes on Jesus, as we've um, praised him together. We've been led by a worship team. But earlier this week, that same team was meeting together, uh, gifted by God musically, but they were meeting together to work together so that they could prepare the songs, practice, work hard at applying it. And so there's this, this sense that they serve and they sing. There's a work and a worship. But likewise, there were lots of other teams at work this morning. There's a team here early at 9.15 setting everything up. It, church doesn't look like this when we arrive at 9.15. There's a setup team and they're serving together. And as they serve, they're also worshipping. They're serving us, they're serving the Lord and they're, they're, it's, a, it's a worship team as well. Just as it is with, uh, with Ellen and Dan as they kind of facilitate with the sound. Just as it is with all the teams across. The work and the worship intermingle together as the people move forward, as they grow, as they connect. Somebody once said this, I've quoted this before, that if you want to get to know someone, work with them or play games with them. That's perhaps one of the ways that we, we, we grow together is by serving together and by worshipping together. And those two, as, as two sides of the coin. I remember as we were um, doing, running holidays at Cape Ray and a team was put together, Dougie would say the best way that we can kind of grow as a team is to serve together. We, 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 team building has a place, but, but the best thing is we just, we just work together. Let's get on with it. And, and I think that's what Nehemiah is doing here. He's, he's getting the people, those who live near the wall, let's get them guarding it. Let's get people worshipping and working together. Let's get them taking ownership of this. Because we're not just rebuilding a wall for a wall's sake. We're trying to rebuild a people. We're trying to rebuild a community. We're trying to rebuild uh, national life in this setting. Verse uh, 2. Let's look at verse 2 just before we close. Though Nehemiah is working to, to get lots of different groups of people working together, he does give specific responsibility to these two. Uh, interestingly, their names are very similar, just so that if you're reading them in public, you'll get them mixed up. I put in charge of Jerusalem my brother Hanai, along with Hananiah, the commander of the citadel, because he was a man of integrity and feared God more than most people do. So, so, so Nehemiah is giving specific responsibility to these two men who will lead and govern the people. And I do love that. 
This isn't about Nehemiah building his own little empire. This isn't about Nehemiah. I built the walls and now it's time for team Nehemiah to do something else. But he gives responsibility to to trained and, and capable men. Because this is a kingdom work. It's not a it's not an empire building. This is about God. This is about God and his people. And and, and it could well be that Nehemiah is is needing to travel back to uh, to the Persian king. Remember when we looked at when he got permission to leave, he was asked, How long are you going to be away? When will you come back? It could be that Nehemiah is is needing to return, either for a time or, or more long term. Either way, he puts these men in charge. And they're men of, of character. His brother, Haniah, his brother was the one who right back at the beginning of the book had brought this report of, the, of, of Jerusalem in ruins. So right back, chapter 1, verse 2, I think it is. Uh, he's the one who has, is given that. So we don't get a lot of information about him here, but I think the idea is that his actions speak louder than his words. So he is... He's gone to Jerusalem, he's seen it's in trouble, he's gone back to uh, Nehemiah who has a position of authority, he might be able to do something about it in the Persian king. Then he's gone back with him to rebuild the wall. So his, his actions speak of his character. So we don't get too much uh, told us about him, but it clearly is a man who's, who's applying himself to the situation. We get a little bit more about Hananiah, his friend. He's commander of the citadel, or it might say in your uh, translation, something like commander of the fortress or of the castle, uh, perhaps depending on which translation you have. Um, but he is somebody who clearly is used to leadership positions. He's somebody who is operating in the, um, in the part of the city where there is the headquarters of the Persians. But we get this fascinating little detail about him here, that he is uh, he's a, he's a man of real character, a man of integrity. Or it might seem in your translation, a man of faithfulness. Above fantastic words to describe someone's character, faithful or integrity. And he fears God more than, he, more than most people do. I think the, 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 the big thing there is if you fear God more than you fear people, you'll tend to do what is right. You want to do what is right more than what is popular. And that is a good characteristic to have in a leader. If you're, more, if you're more determined to do what is right than what um, people will think about it, then that seems to me a good characteristic to have for somebody in that leadership role. And so they are given these, these, key, these key roles. They're given this extra responsibility. So Nehemiah, to keep the people moving forward, he wants to grow the team. He wants people to take ownership. There's lots of groups of people mentioned, even in these four verses. And they're going to work together and they're going to worship together. And for particular roles of responsibility, he carefully chooses men of character. I wonder for for us, as we think about our, our, our own lives, do we have those people in our lives of, of character like that? People who care more about what is right than perhaps what people think. People who will, who will speak truth into our lives, who will fear God. And that will overflow in their, in their decision making and character. Those who, will have, who are faithful, who have integrity. Are there those people in our lives 
Are we those people in the lives of others? And are we those who are taking ownership of what's happening? Are we those who are looking for opportunities where we can be involved? Nehemiah is keen that the people keep moving forward. The finishing of the walls is not the end, but the beginning. And to keep moving forward, they need to stand on what has been built and to get more people involved. Let me pray as the worship team come back up to lead us in our final final songs. Let's, Let's pray together. Father, we, we thank you so much for your word, the Bible. Father, we pray that as we read it, as we explore it, Father, we pray that you'll speak to us by your word, by your spirit that lives within us, and it will be your work for your glory. Father, as we've explored this morning, um, how the building of, of the walls was only the beginning of, of the rebuilding that was going to happen. Father, we pray as we, as we put the finishing touches, as it were, to the building that has been built so close to us right now, we pray, Lord, that that would be used for your honour and glory. Lord, that that would be used for the benefit and blessing of the people in the town and area that surround it. And it would be used for you. Father, we pray for our own lives. Lord, that that in your grace you would use us and that you'd build your kingdom in us and and indeed through us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.